Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hi, this is the Aranax Podcast. I'm Craig Eason, host and podcast producer, but also the editor of the Fathom World News site. And I'm finishing off this particular episode of the podcast in Oslo, where I've just come to get ready for the biennial Nor Shipping Trade Show and gathering where thousands of people from the maritime ocean industries come together to get the latest updates in their industries and where I'm, of course, back on the stage for the Blue Talks. A little bit more about that later on. But first, last week there was news of the launch of a new network to bring together the training colleges in Europe. These are the colleges that offer maritime education and training for cadets and seafarers. In other words, the people that we need on the ships for the ships of the future. If you've been listening to this podcast before, or even if you haven't and you've been following what's going on in the industry, you'll know that the shipping industry has challenges when it comes to digitalization and decarbonization. And seafarers, these are the people at the sharp end of the industry, working on these ships that are changing, need to be part of this story. Seafaring is a vocational career. The training is very practical and with a strong focus on safety as it follows the requirements of the STCW. And these training courses are already lengthy. A cadetship is about three and a half years and it's full of a lot of mandatory elements, leaving little room, if any, for the new courses that may be needed for fuels, digital skills and other modern skills that we need in a modern society. Then this has been brought to the fore by the EU and industry-funded Skillsea project, which had its closing event in Brussels last week. I was invited to moderate the event, which looked at the current skill needs, the future skill needs, and importantly, how the training establishments can face this future, both for themselves and for the industry as a whole. One of the outcomes of the Skillsea's project has been the recognition that the colleges need to collaborate better. And this is why they recently announced the launch of the Maritime Education and Training Network, or METNET. Talking about the need was Alco Week from the training establishment STC in the Netherlands. And he told me that while there's hundreds of colleges training seafarers across Europe, there is the need to come together and work closer. So he told me about what the founding members of METNET are trying to achieve. Skillsy identified current skills. Uh, and they are in that way not surprising, but it's about digital, it's about sustainability, it's about leadership and, and uh, social responsiveness, uh, resilience, mental, all those kind of subjects that are very hot. And those items uh, are in need to be adjusted. SCW is not adjusting, but the industry wants them, that schools are going to work on them. Now, that's complicated because you cannot easily enter a school with a new system. That's that's complicated. And the second thing what's happening is that people are shouting also in the industry. Yeah, but we need something on hydrogen uh, because otherwise it's unsafe. But then when you ask, what do you think is relevant and what should the student learn? And then people are getting, uh, yeah, I don't know. You have to ask the experts. But if you ask the experts, they don't know anything about learning objectives and learning outcomes. They just don't know. And that's not their job, so they don't need to know. Uh, and there we need to find each other. So you need that the industry is saying, OK, I think that it is very relevant that, for example, uh, people need to learn that a lighter is not is not allowed to be in your pocket when you are 
working with ammoniac in the engine room. I just give a stupid example, but everybody understands there is some logic that you don't do that. So then you want to say the student, student demonstrates the safety measures that are needed to start up the engine with ammonia, for an example. With those kind of wording, uh, a school understands what should be in the program, the student understands what expected for him, and the industry understands, okay, this is what the students are getting, and this is the steps they're going to make. And therefore, we need each other. We need collaboration for that, because we don't know in a way what the steps are, because we are education, we are not the experts on, on the fuel. The industry is an expert on the fuel, but is not an expert on education. But we were not really aligned in the past. We had some nice projects and, and ideas, especially when you're doing research, people are coming together, education and, and industry. But if you go to vocational studies, that's not happening. They are not in the research mode. It's not in their uh, assignment from their governments. It's not in their financial structure. It is not that they cannot do it, but it's just they are not organized like that. It was not never their question. And now looking back at those new skills that are needed, new industry, new fuels, new technolo technology. You ask now to the vocational lecturers, adjust yourself to the new system because we have to educate the new seafarer. Yes, but why, how, what? And then you say, yeah, but you have to research. They will not research. So they are in the end of the line. So if we are looking at the new SCCW, if that's in 10 years, then the vocational schools are, will be the last ones to adjust their programs because they are not having the research capabilities to ad adapt that easily, meaning much longer. And when we are starting collaborating with bachelors, assisting vocational students, okay, listen with us in, go with, with the flow with us, and we are developing together with you learning outcomes and learning objectives, everybody is then understanding, I have to focus there. I have to make a class on people are not using their lighter in an ammoniac vessel. And I will make a movie, I will make a story about it, I'll make a podcast, whatever. But it, then it's clear. So that's one of the very relevant things. But if you look at the industry, who are they going to talk to? Do they need to talk to every school in every country, in every regional? Because there are so many schools. So therefore, I think collaboration is, is a great point to work each other and, and try to develop those kind of learning outcomes, learning objectives together with the industry and immediately also be able to validate them with each other, saying, OK, is this what we want? Yes, this is what you want. And maybe that will be STCW in the future. I don't mind. At, last, at the moment, we know what we need to do. But That's does this require a lot more than just a, a regional approach to this? You've got MetNets launching now with a very European, but if you're looking at something that's STCW, that's international, how how do they sit together? How does an international regulation sit alongside the way that a, a regional network can deliver? Yeah, you can talk to this worldwide, but we have, of course, the Erasmus Plus programs of the, of the EU, European Union, and that makes it possible that we uh, exchange lecturers through Europe. So therefore, it will be financially much easier to organize this than worldwide. Uh, flying to Singapore or Japan is, is another issue to discuss. Uh, and you see also that the cultural difference then are even bigger. They're already big. And we have learned in Skillsy project that before we started really producing, we were talking our 
uh, yeah, tongues off because of all the difference in in, in definitions in, in education in, in systems we were flabbergasted in a way how different we are in still doing the same with SSCW. And it's so different organized in every country and in different levels, in different ways. We uh, Some countries have not a very strong maritime cluster. Some companies, uh, countries have a very strong maritime cluster. So there the collaboration is a little bit easier. We have some language issues in some countries still that English yeah, is, is what we're talking about, but that doesn't mean that everybody in the school talks English. There are only a, sometimes a few. So there are some, um, some challenges which are easily adapted in Europe than, than worldwide. And if you're starting too big, I believe it will never work. Um, on the other hand, we don't have to work on every subject in every country in Europe in, on this item. But for example, Norway, Norway is further on hydrogen than certain other countries. So. If you want to start talking about hydrogen uh, development education, then maybe we need the Norwegians a little bit more. But maybe in another country, if we look at France, they are much further in nuclear. So maybe if we are going in nuclear side, maybe we have to be there. So it, the, the regional uh, things are more that some countries are more very good in certain directions and certain technologies and other countries are in a different technology. And there we have to find our connection Alco Week from the Netherlands Training Institution, SDC, and part of the four-year Skillseek project, which led to the launch of MetNet last week. Now, in the discussions at the Skillseek event in Brussels, we talked about the need for seafarers to be trained in the new technologies, as well as the awareness of why they're needed. One prime example, or perhaps set of examples, are the various wind assist technologies that are being developed in shipping. These are technologies with similar goals to significantly reduce the dependence of a ship on any fuel, whether it's CO2 emitting fossil fuels or the likely more expensive future fuels such as green methanol, hydrogen ammonia, etc. But these are not simple technologies and this is why companies developing the solutions are looking for helpful ship owners to let them test out their ideas. It is of course more complicated than that. And last week, Smart Green Shipping announced it had partnered with a UK-based company, NTS, Nuclear Transport Solutions. Now, this may raise a few eyebrows, a seeming link-up between wind assist technologies and a company transporting nuclear material. SGS CEO and co-founder, Di Gilpin, is no stranger to the Aronex podcast, so I got her to explain this latest development. She's appeared on the show last time talking about the trial installation the company will be installing in the west of Scotland, thanks to some Enterprise Scotland funding. And now this latest announcement is part of SGS being part of a Wind for Change consortium, which has won UK funding to further develop the rigid wing system that Diana team are developing and to get proof of concept onto a ship to not only show how it works, but to give a certain amount of belief to the industry that it is part of the future. The Hunterston project is funded by the Scottish Government and is a test and demonstration programme for the fast rig and we will be looking at the mechanical um, robustness of the systems and we'll be looking at the performance output, so how much wind we can generate from it and create energy and thrust from and how that maps back into our lab-based analysis around which was conducted through CFD, computational fluid dynamics. That gives us the opportunity to make sure that we're super, super safe 
and then we'll take that rig or probably more likely an adaptation and improvement of version two of that rig and install it onto um, the Pacific Grebe. Um, specifically, we're looking at demonstrating that the real world performance data maps what we have anticipated and predicted in the, in the lab, but also, and possibly more importantly, what's the process of, of installing a fast rig on a ship and what's the operational procedure that we need to deploy um, the manuals for, for, for the crew to use, which will be satisfactory to Mar Maritime Coast Guard Agency and to classification societies. So the Pacific Grebe is particularly challenging, as you can imagine. She carries um, nuclear waste from the UK to Japan for reprocessing. So she has a much higher safety threshold than most regular bulk ships. So that is providing us with a lot of challenges, but I think it's really helpful for the team because we are able to, if we are able to solve those challenges on that ship to the satisfaction of the classification societies, the regulators, then uh, I think it will give a lot of confidence to the market that we can do it on a more regular wet or dry bulk. Di Gilpin from Smart Green Shipping talking to me about the developments she and her team have been making improving the rigid wing sailed concepts work. Now you can find more about the SGS on the Fathom World website. And one of the Smart Green Shipping team, James Mason, he's their data scientist, will be on one of the Blue Talks with me. And he'll be along with other system developers to talk about how shipping can begin to trust wind systems and how the regulators need to take a little bit more notice. And talking of Nor shipping in Oslo, there's a new Transparency Act that has come into force in Norway, making all companies be more transparent about their businesses, especially around sustainability and ESG. And it's got huge implications, and while not new, the deadline for compliance is looming. On top of that, there's also the impact of the European Union's Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. Now, all of this puts pressure on corporates, private and public, to be more transparent to be able to give their suppliers, the customers and investors clear data to help them with their own ESG work. And the pressure, therefore, is building on shipping too, as they get the pressure to build up from many different angles. And this is where it could get tricky, according to Pia Melling from Greek Green in Norway. Many in shipping will be aware of the issues relating to ship recycling pressures, which are often seen as being environmental. But Melling says there are also human rights issues that need to be taken into account now. But also, the questions don't just stop with the recycling yards. The Transparency Act here in Norway is uh, coming into force. Uh, well, you need to report by mid of this year, so it's coming in, in now, that you actually need to be able to show anybody that calls up your company and asks for documentation that you've done due diligence uh, in your supply chain. And then the question is, how far down your supply chain can you go? Or do you need to go as, as a shipping company or you know, how far will your customers go into your supply chain? But I think the good answer to that is that you go as far as you have an impact and as far as you can possibly go. And the drive is, of course, to, to make a positive impact by asking questions to your suppliers, on, especially on human rights and working conditions. But in general, I think the whole ESG question will, will start to emerge much more in your purchasing decisions.
And we do talk to uh, ship owners. Of course, we also have a ship owner in-house in, in the Grig group. And most of them have now done this analysis and figured out that where is the biggest risk of uh, human rights issues in their supply chain and where do they spend the most money? So where is the most impact? Yards come out quite high on that list, especially recycling uh, yards or recycling facilities, but also uh, new building yards and repair yards. And so far, I don't think yards have been asked a lot of questions uh, apart from price and quality. And we believe that um, there's going to be a lot more focus on emissions, of course, but also on the S in the ESG or under uh, the, the working conditions at the yard. And that will definitely drive improvement. Hopefully, we can actually have business and money flow to those yards that are trying to improve. And then they will uh, have even more incentive to continuously improve. I think we have to recognize that nothing is perfect, not in Europe and not in Asia. It's not only in um, in the recycling yards in Asia that we uh, we have risks. It's also in Europe and the same with the other yards. Nothing is, is really perfect, but we need to incentivize improvements. And that starts with transparency. We've all heard a lot of stories about the conditions in the recycling yards, notably some of those in Asia. There's been a lot of lobby groups that have put the spotlight on that. But it's a bit of a surprise to hear that there may be issues relating to repair yards and even the new building yards. I mean, how, how has this come about? And is it as serious as the recycling yards, do you think? And is it something that's going to have a huge impact on the price of things? I think if you buy a T-shirt today and you pay £2 for that T-shirt, you probably know that um, in in the making of that T-shirt, things aren't great. Uh, so there is, a, there is a link between how much we pay for a service and the quality, of course, of that service. And if it's too cheap, it probably means that some corners are being cut and the working conditions aren't great. But um, I would say recycling yards is where the, the risk is the highest because that's basically where nobody's um, attention is at today. For new buildings, you know, most chip owners have their own site team present. Uh, they really pay attention to what's happening also with dry docks. They have site teams, they have people present, of course, to, to safeguard the quality of the work that's being done, but but also they do notice other other things. So I think the uh, the fact that when when the ship owner sells the ship to for recycling, basically they, they feel that they're done with done with that ship and, and it's not their responsibility anymore. And and if nobody is then uh, you know, watching over what's happening, then um, a lot of different things can happen that we don't really want to promote. So I think that's why the, the ship recycling uh, industry needs, really deserves more um, light and more transparency and more attention so that uh, we can actually uh, stop some of the, that practice, which is unsafe for the environment and for people and incentivize better practice. But there is definitely, it comes at a certain cost to be really responsible in how you do any kind of uh, job, right? So I think we need to realize that we have maybe to pay more, yes, to make sure that 
uh, everything is done according to the standards that we expect. Peter Melling from Greek Green will be at North Shipping helping me unearth more about this and the issues of life cycle assessment across the shipping's chain of responsibility. At North Shipping, people come to find out what's new and, of course, meet up with colleagues and industry friends. It's also a perfect time to get updated. This year's North Shipping theme is partnerships. If you're actually at the exhibition hall for North Shipping, you can freely visit the Blue Talk stage and listen to one of the 12 talks on dedicated themes. Maybe you want to hear the latest about shipping competing for future fuels, about hydrogen and electrification, or perhaps you're keen to discuss digital connectivity and automation. Or it could be wind propulsion, onboard carbon capture, or maybe life cycle thinking, equitable financing of change, or the reality about green corridors. On the one stage over three days, there will be 60 experts on 12 themes, arguing with a seasoned journalist keen to uncover where the shipping and ocean industries are moving. Find the Blue Talk stage at the Lillestrøm Exhibition Hall from the 6th to the 8th of June. Welcome to North Shipping 2023. And now some digital news. Last week, Kongsberg Digital announced investment from Shell. Well, Shell Ventures, to be accurate. Now, let me explain. Kongsberg Digital is part of the Oslo-listed Kongsberg Group, and the Norwegian government is the largest shareholder of Kongsberg's shares. And that's partly because Kongsberg is, amongst other things, very closely linked to Norwegian defence. But it's also a large maritime technology company with a widespread list of interests. Kongsberg Digital has been evolving its own software portfolio over the last few years, and the announcement of a 90 million US dollars investment into the business, I think, suggests a clear direction for the business. And this 90 million dollar stake from Shell Ventures and another investor called Idea Capital values Kongsberg's digital at 540 million US dollars. Kongsberg Digital's CEO is Shane McArdle. Now, I spoke to him about the announcement and why a company like Shell would have an interest in taking a stake in a company like Kongsberg Digital and importantly, what this says about the energy transition and the importance of data. We were carved out from the group in 2016 as a a centre of excellence for all things digital within the group. Uh, And then we very quickly turned these capabilities towards the various markets that that we were um, have a large footprint in. And those markets tended to be maritime, of course, um, energy, renewables, power and grid. So we started developing these capabilities uh, specifically for these industries. And the idea and I suppose the nature of of digitalization is pace. It's about accelerating uh, the adoption of this technology. Is about uh, moving the industries at a, at a very uh, at a faster pace towards adopting these technologies in order for them to achieve uh, targets around efficiency, sustainability, you know, safer operations, these types of areas. And from very early on, Kongsberg Group said that. We would look at Kongsberg Digital as a carve out and as a carve out on a path towards an IPO. So it was stated very quickly. Uh, this is the first step towards that um, IPO track. Uh, and uh, we've talked about this over the last couple of years. So we have 
obviously a lot of interest in Kongsberg Digital, a very large, um, very large technology company, you know, Kongsberg being over 200 years. And we were able to get the interest of Shell Ventures, um, yeah, a very well known uh, energy major and the venture arm of that energy major. And of course, a Norwegian company called Idea Capital, uh, also a high growth uh, investment uh, company here in Norway. So together they've invested 90 million USD in, into Kongsberg Digital. And that equates to an enterprise value of like post money, $540 million. Uh, so it's a real, I would say, first step towards that IPO. And it really provides us that capital and that equity uh, to continue to develop the capabilities that we've um, been developing up to now and give us that acceleration and oomph that we need uh, for the next couple of years. So very excited about them coming on board and um, restructuring the ownership of, of who we are today. The clear point here is it Shell Ventures is that they, as an energy major, see an extremely important value in the data. Would I be right in thinking that Shell is taking that on board with this venture, with this with this investment into a company like Kongsberg Digital and recognising that getting more data and being able to evaluate and use that data is going to be incredibly important? Absolutely. You know, we've been partnering with Shell now for about three, nearly three years now, and we've been on this digital journey uh, with them, um, you know, starting here in Norway. And now we're actually working with them on their global portfolio. And that global portfolio encompasses everything from, you know, upstream, downstream, midstream, which also includes the maritime part of, of, of the energy value chain. And I suppose through that partnership, they got to know us and got to know us well and understand our capabilities and what we're trying to do and, and, and our larger purpose for the heavy asset industry, which they really support. You know, they really have supported us um, strongly over the last couple of years. And all all things digital starts with the data, Greg. You know, that that's the fu fundament of, of, of what you're going to start with. Um, without data, you can't measure. Without measuring, you can't optimize, you know, so, so you have to start to that point. Now, what, what we quickly need to understand is it's not just about the data. You, you need to link that data to a business value. You know, what the, how does that data connect to a job to be done? And how, how can that job be changed or reimagined? So we're not going to operate the assets and or fleets of assets that we do today the way we're going to do in the future. They're going to be very different because of regulations and new requirements like around fuels in the maritime industry, um, the, the injection of and the transition to uh, greener energies. All of these require a new way of thinking, a new operating model and having a solid digital foundation you know, provided through data is going to enable us to be able to do that. And, and Shell are buying into this. They're an, they're an energy company now. You know, and they're going to rebalance their portfolio over time. They've set themselves up with very strict targets of what they want to achieve by 2030, by 2050. And, and they're really going all out in that. And they're picking up various companies, um, true venture arms like they're doing today, um, that can support them on that journey. But not only them, they've said the industry. So they're really thinking broad in broad terms, not in isolation, but in very broad terms from an industry perspective. How can we solve this as an industry? That's Shane McArdle, Kongsberg Digital CEO on the investment by Shell Ventures. And he'll also be on the Blue Talk stage with me at Nor Shipping, where I could be talking to him about the fuel transition and why some of that data he was talking about is going to be so important. Well, that's it for this week's NRNX podcast. And a reminder, of course, you can come and find me in Oslo. You'll find me at the Blue Talk stage for nearly all the week. So come over and tell me a story. 
And coming up soon on the Aranex podcast, we'll be looking at the technology news at the CMAC Congress in South Korea, and then we'll be in London for the IMO's environmental talks. You know the ones, the ones about strengthening shipping's ambition and getting everyone everywhere on board the change. So remember to sign up for the Fathom World newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and get this podcast followed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use. Until the next time, goodbye.